Hello, everyone, and welcome to our uh, 24th episode of That's So Second Millennium. I'm Bill Schmidt, and I'm joined here by my friend, uh, Dr. Paul Giesting, a, a ge- geologist uh, with his Ph.D. from the University of Notre Dame. And uh, we, uh, in these episodes, enjoyed talking about the connections between science and religion and uh, the philosophy of science and the philosophy of religion. Uh, and um, uh, welcome, Paul. Uh, good to be uh, doing another episode with you. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Bill. It's been a Thank couple of weeks. We were, uh, know, we were yeah. at Notre Dame last time. Yeah, we were actually on the campus at Notre Dame doing our most recent episodes. Um, and it sounds like since then, you've been uh, traveling, and you've uh, had some interesting conversations with friends, and they brought back uh, to your mind uh, some things that we've talked about uh, regarding uh, Steno, the um, uh, geological pioneer, uh, and also uh, some issues of contemporary interest, uh, creationism. Uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, Paul? Um, young Earth uh, creationism. Young Earth creationism, yes. Yeah. So uh, uh, tell me a little bit about the, uh, the uh, conversation that you had and uh, how it uh, brought your mind to, to the uh, past and the, and the present. Oh yeah, no. I, uh, so uh, with some, uh, I I I went on a trip, a pilgrimage, if you will, uh, to uh, Minnesota because uh, my friend, the rabbi, um, my friend is named Rabbi Paul. I don't know how many of those there are. Uh, wow, somewhat ironic name for a rabbi if you if you think through uh, where the name Paul comes from in the New Testament. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a story for another time. I would love to talk to him on the podcast sometime. Maybe we'll have, have to think yeah. of a way to uh, introduce, you know, encourage him to do that. But uh, he's pretty right. busy uh, this season because it's uh, you know it's September, of course. It's not uh, not not that far from the high holy days, so he is he's That's busy. Right. You know. uh, in any case, so I was riding with two other friends from college who, for obvious reasons, will remain nameless. Uh, Fair but uh, yeah, I was having a discussion between. Uh, you know, it, it, it wandered to religion in some some sense, and at one point, you know, one friend, you know, discussing with the other, you know, I mean, we we come from all over the map in terms of political and religious uh, backgrounds as well. Um, all of us Christian in some sense, at least in our upbringing. Um, so one friend, you know, the, the friend who is now actually more agnostic atheist, um, says says to the other, um, well, you know, and it wasn't literally this, but it was, you know, at least you're not a young earth creationist. And then he's like, well, you know, <laughs> so we ended up, so I ended up, you know, and of course, you know, being caught off guard and, uh, you know, <laughs> my mind was not on. In fact, I had gone into this trip wondering if I was going to have to field questions about the, you know, the clerical sex abuse crisis. And not that I had really right. any preparation for that either, honestly. Um, but I, I, w- I at least had that mental expectation to, to have to attempt to, and of course I blundered into, which is probably, which I would say is not the way to do it. It wasn't historically the way it was done. Um, we'll, hope, we'll talk about the way historically it was done, I hope. This is what this is um, leading to. But I ended up blundering into trying to uh, uh, defend uh, radiometric dating, which is really a very late player in the game. 
that's you know very powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I think a lot of young Earth creationists depend on trying to attack that aspect of geologic uh, theory um, when they when they when they're attempting to uh, to defend the sort of scriptural. Genesis minimalist, you know, the the book of Genesis says everything there is worth saying, or nearly everything there is worth saying about the history of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, you know, so that's very difficult to do, as I said a number of times. It's very difficult to do without a blackboard. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. And you probably didn't have one along with you, yeah. At some point, I I have to show you the algebra. in order, in order for that to work out, because I mean, there are, you know, and that's the thing. There, there's this, you know, idea that you know scientists are engaged in this sort of conspiracy to cover up, you know, the holes in their reasoning, which is one of those things that just wants you to make wants you to make you put your head down on your desk and sigh, which of course I couldn't do because I was driving between uh, Milwaukee and Minneapolis <laughs> at that point. Right. But, uh, that's not. Not how science works. It's, I am I am not a conspiracy theorist. Like any time you, any time you tell me that you know such and such is happening because you know all these people are keeping the secret. The larger the number of people who have to be keeping the secret. I mean, we live in the era of leaks, do we not? Yeah. Yes. Who keeps secrets? Yeah. Who right. can no Who can yeah. help? Posting something on social media, or if it's really juicy, emailing it to a New York Times reporter. I mean, my God, by the yeah. time you've got ten people, someone's going to do that. That's right. Yeah, the people people that don't even keep personal secrets witness the success of the uh, Jerry Springer show and Doctor oh, Show and everything. Yeah, Jerry Springer, great. Uh, well, I mean, he he wasn't uh, even the first. He was an expander on a theme, but oh, that's God, true. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Perfected the most imperfect model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, but, given the theme of you know, we had we had already started on a uh, sort of geological arc of the podcast and talking about uh, these issues. It was it was one of those yeah. things. That, you know, in a way, it was kind of providential. It seems to me that, um, yeah, okay, let's let's debate this and let's you know, <laughs> let's 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 put some money down on it, so to speak. There you because, go. You know, right. Let's give me some drama in terms of, you know, personal stakes for actually, you know, digging out this question and considering it. So a lot of what uh, we're going to discuss in these next two episodes, I would want to, uh, you know, cite my source a little bit. There's a there's a great book by a man named Anthony Hallam, um, who then in this book, I don't know if it's been reprinted since the early 90s. That's my edition. I have the second edition. Um, where he talks, it, the book is titled Great Geological Controversies, and it is a fascinating read if you have any interest in the history of that period. So so last time we talked about Nicholas Steno. N- Nicholas Steno uh, dies in 1686, and by that point he has been out of uh, geological disputation um, for a number of years at that point. You know, he'd, he'd mm-hmm. been a famous scholar, he converted to the Catholic Church and gradually decided that he was called to be a priest and made this decision to put his science aside and you know and he went to the absolutely thankless job of going to northern europe in the 17th century and attempting to uh convince 
Lutherans to come back to the Catholic faith, which, of course, at that point, it's not a question of them coming back. They've been Lutheran for a number of generations. Yeah. You know, now it's all tied up with, you know, the stink of nationalism and things like that. Um, right. So that was so that was how Steno, you know, basically bartered himself. Uh, so we have. Goodness. It's a little exciting. Back oh, there. yep. That's- I, I don't know if Audacity has a, uh, and we can edit, I probably will edit this part out, but I don't know if Audacity has a uh, siren removal. Uh, that would be out. interesting to see, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> has, it, has it kind of gone past already? No, no, good. You, uh, yo, the, oh, yeah, the ambulance. Yeah, so I can go back to actual content now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, okay, so, so Hallam picks up in the late, 18th century. So uh, the book that I read about uh, Steno, the seashell on the mountaintop, uh, you know, cuts out. It gives us a good picture of what geology and geologic uh, thought up to, you know, the first few years, maybe 1710, maybe 1720 of the 18th century. So there's a gap, you know, between him and and the uh, a seminal figure in the history of geology named Werner, a German, uh, I believe he lived in Saxony. Uh, so he's he he comes into prominence about 1775, and that's he w, at Werner W E R N E R. Yeah, W E R N E R. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yep. The German spelling. He is he's a very seminal figure, uh, and despite the fact that you know, I mean. Most of his specific ideas were quite wrong, but that's you know that's that's the price you pay for playing this game is you know you're you're first on the scene. He gave us you know one one great example. So Werner is an exponent of a theory that uh, is now called Neptunism. I guess it was called that at the time at least. Um, typically, things are named very typically. Uh, <laughs> streams of thought are named by their adversaries. So Neptunism was it. sort of called that by uh, some of its opponents. But uh, let's 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 take a step back and set the context, right? So in okay, the in the okay. late 16th century, we're still very concerned with trying to match up our geologic reasoning with the Book of Genesis, and that continues to be a concern all the way into the mid 19th century. And so that's one thing, you know, to to think about it from the perspective of the young Earth creationist arguments. We'd, it's not about radiometric dating. <laughs> right. It's not about things that we, you know, developed in the 20th century. You know, this argument was already had out by people who believed very strongly that there had to be some sort of way to uh, reconcile the idea that there's one dramatic event, Noah's flood, that shapes, you know, that, that shaped the earth more or less, you know, that there was creation. And then there was Noah's flood, and that's it. And that the and that you know and and even attaching this sort of ancient you know goes back to the Greeks and was seized upon by you know Jewish and Christian thinkers that you know the world was somehow created perfect. You know, you can think of that common you know statement that the ancients believed that the planets had to have circular orbits because planet because circles are perfect shapes, right? Uh sort of reasoning like this is a little hollow these days Um, but it was very very persuasive for millennia Um, Mm. 
And so likewise, the idea that the earth was somehow created exactly so um, and that it, you know, that it was perfect, that it was, you know, it was created in just such a shape for just such a reason um, and, you know, wild speculation on what those reasons were. And that, you know, Noah's flood maybe pushed it into, you know, because Noah's flood happens after the fall of man and is, of course, a response to human uh, human evil. Um, maybe Noah's flood pushed the earth into some, you know, fallen, unpleasant shape. But that's all you have to work with. And you only have, you know, six 24-hour days at Earth's surface until, you know, you get to the lifetime of Adam. And then you can just start doing the chronology and you follow the chronology of the patriarchs until you run out of patriarchs and uh, kings of Israel. And then you, you tie it to secular history. And there's your time scale. Right. Uh, yeah, which which gives you at, at this point gives you 6000 years. OK. Um, And that's you know, that's that was and in that and in that atmosphere in particular of the post-Reformation Sola Scriptura attitude. You know, not only is this scripture the only basis for the Christian faith, but it's our only basis for philosophy. It's our only basis for natural history. Um, yeah. That attitude. So so that that even even when people were consciously breaking with that attitude, which they were doing throughout the 18th century um, and, the, and the final rupture came about 1830. But people mm-hmm. were trying to, you know, defend this idea that Noah's flood was really a major geologic agent. You know, even even as they were modifying that hypothesis, you know, a, one middle point that people came to was to say, well, yeah, there was there was Noah's flood. But then there was this long, insanely long period of geologic time before that, in which in which time all this stuff happened. Um, and that 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 was at least a lot more workable. That that explained a lot more that allowed you to look at the earth and see, you know, strata laid down and then bent and beveled you know, cut off and then, you know, strata laid down on top of an angular unconformity stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. just to look at it and do a very, you know, minor calculation as to how fast sea levels changed in the thousand years since the Romans or, you know, or, or how fast sediment builds up in a lake. Um, you can do some back of the envelope calculations and realize you're talking about millions of years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, so that idea. And so Noah's flood, you know, and even and even further, even when people were denying Noah's flood as a you know literal planet-wide burying all land, um, but that the idea of a primitive ocean was still a very very um, persuasive one. You know, a, an idea that people used in a lot of paradigms, even when they had even when they had discarded you know the idea of Noah's flood as a literal planet-wide flood. Uh-huh. You know, again, then you, then of course, you know, you come into the the question of does the Hebrew text really force you to that specific of an interpretation of Noah's flood, which is another story for another time. But uh, so uh, so things that were competing in that, um, you know, families of hypotheses that were competing in that era. So there was Neptunism. So Werner is the exponent of Neptunism, which is the idea that nearly everything on the Earth that we see is the product of either chemical precipitation. So he thought that rocks like granite and basalt precipitated from water and somehow been dissolved in this primordial ocean, which who knows where this primordial ocean went. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, that, but the rocks, 
uh, you know, precipitated from that. And then, and then later strata were, uh, more, uh, pebbles and, you know, conglomerates and sandstones and particles that had settled out of the water column. Um, and of course, you know, it's hard to find good outcrops to study things. And it's hard to travel in the 18th century. There are not even any railroads yet. You know, we're still stuck with the ancient methods of, you know, horseback and yeah. travel by carriage and travel by yeah. boat, travel by yeah. unpowered boat. And so people, you know, people saw six or eight outcrops maybe in their life and, and temporized from there. And so people, you know, people in Italy would come to different conclusions from people in Germany like Werner or people in France or people in England. And they would sort of bicker with each other at a distance. Right. And so, people, you know, people in Italy, of course, you know, there are active volcanoes in Italy. <laughs> so right. they're going to a limited amount of, um, and they can see, you know, basalt. And in particular in France, if you go so far as to go from Italy to France, you can see in southern France, in the Massif Central, in a, a region called the Auvergne, which uh, Hallam talks about a lot, you can see basalt. There's no, no, no volcano that's erupted in human history there. But you can see basalt there, and you can see volcanic vents. And that killed a lot of Neptunists. A lot of Neptunists, you know, they would learn at the feet of Werner. He was very, very persuasive. Um, and then at some point in their life, they would go to the Auvergne, and they'd say, oh, gosh, this doesn't work. <laughs> this basalt came from a volcano. It just had, here's the volcano. Here's the vent. Here's the bubbly, you know, scoria. Here's the, you know, gas-inflated rock that looks just like it came from a volcano. Um, and that, you know, that really, you know, eventually could by, by the 1820s. And, but nevertheless, Werner's, Werner's global stratigraphy, you know, survives to this day. Elements of it survive down to this very day. He was so yeah. influential. All of his mineral names survive down to this very day, including what I always would teach my mineralogy students. So there's a mineral called a, a, a large, important family of minerals called pyroxene. That's a piece okay. of pure 18th century propaganda written by Werner or one of his disciples. It, it literally means pyro is fire and Zeno right. zine is stranger, stranger to fire. Huh. But in reality, so that, that, that was a, that was a Werner's, you know, that, that was a claim of Wernerian orthodoxy that, you know, this mineral precipitated from water, <laughs> which is not oh. the case. At all. <laughs> you cannot, wow. you literally cannot precipitate pyroxene from water. You would not. You, you would get one of, you know, a hundred other minerals, probably a clay. Um, but you would not get pyroxene. Pyroxene, in fact, most definitely comes from molten or very, very high temperature metamorphic rocks. You know, igneous rocks or very high temperature metamorphic rocks. But, yeah. But Werner was so inf influential, contributed so much vocabulary and structure, even when people had taken that structure and completely, you know, it, it was it was just a substructure that they had fitted completely different concepts to. But nevertheless, his time scale is still, you know, elements of his time scale are still used in the geologic time scale today. He had a primary, secondary, and tertiary, and then quaternary period. Well, we still use the terms tertiary and quaternary. Mm -hmm. Down to this very day, you know, even though even though we've you know his his primary and secondary no longer work very well, um, uh, but we but we still use tertiary and and quaternary. So uh, it's you know it's fascinating to see you know 
all these convulsions and com almost complete overturns, and yet you see these elements surviving from from early on. So so and so you know where does neptunism come from? I can't believe that this idea wasn't at least part. And and Werner was not a scripturalist, right? He was not trying to fit things to a six thousand year time scale. Um, he had, no, he had pretty much discarded that idea. Um, this this primordial ocean would have had to have existed over many millions of years. But nevertheless, right, you can right. see the idea in the background of you know we start with a deluge, you know that happens in somebody's lifetime, and then you know that that idea just keeps working. That keeps working in the background. Yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of scriptural uh, and religion-based knowledge was whether or not the particular scientists were active believers. Uh, uh, it was just part of the air they breathed and the cultural context yeah. in which they saw everything, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to Belloc's statement that, you know, Europe, the faith is Europe and Europe is the faith, which I, I would right. debate the first one, but Europe is the faith. You know, everything in Western thought has been channeled through, you know, the millennium of unquestioned, you know, of Christianity, you know, that that, yeah. was, the, that was the incubator in which all of these ideas you know, and everything in Western thought is either a continuation, unconscious or not, of Christian themes, or else it's a reaction against them. I mean, that's yeah. just what we have to work with. Right. Well, so now um, uh, uh, to to close out this episode, um, uh, you're making that segue now to the um, to that. Uh, uh, Possible synthesis with uh, Christian themes, uh, but also looking ahead to how everything is going to, uh, you know, clash uh, as thesis and antithesis. Um, uh, but uh, uh, so, what what will you, what will we be discussing in the in the next episode that uh, ties in both our themes in general and your conversation uh, up in the hills well, there? We've only we've only. Um We've only taken one one part of the way in which you know Christian ideas, and in particular this idea of Noah's flood, um, got you know sort of generalized and taken into geologic theorizing in this you know late 18th and early 19th century time period. Perhaps yeah. even more important is the idea of Noah's flood as the paradigm of a catastrophe. So we hopefully we'll talk about that next time. And then, and then maybe a little bit about, um, you know, attitudes of people toward science, because, you know, Steno's attitude of, of abandoning science, you know, there, that's, that's another, you know, aspect of this divorce that we seem to, you know, that we believe in between science and religion. So that, that's something else I'd like to bring back and talk about a little at the end of the next episode. Oh, good. Uh-huh. All right. Well, this was very helpful uh, and interesting context. My goodness, uh, so much was going on in in uh, in, in geology, even though uh, 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 so so much of that is like forgotten or not not recognized as as relevant today. But uh, it's uh, we're going to see in the second episode uh, of this uh, uh, two-parter that uh, there there is relevance. Um, to a lot of the uh, the current knowledge, mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, right. and, and well, we'll continue on. This is this is an arc that will take a number of episodes to explore. Oh, okay, very good. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, we will continue uh, soon, uh, listeners. And uh, thanks very much, Paul, for today's episode. Yeah, that's good to talk to you, Bill.